Uh, we got guest services people here with a hookup if you need one of those. Um, we're going to be in Genesis 2. We're going to be in two places, 19 and 20 is where we're going to kick off to give us some background. We're going to spend most of our time in verses 7 through 15. Um, this is the start of a new series for so the new study guides. If you need a study guide or a Bible there, just put up your hand and they'll get you one. If you need a Bible and you don't have one, take it. It's yours. Put your name in it. Uh, feel free to steal our Bibles. We like it when people steal our Bibles. This is a cool series that we're starting off this week. It provides a biblical and theological basis for valuing and participating in cultural and artistic creation. And today we talk about planting gardens as a metaphor for us for creating environments that, that make God's beauty and goodness happen. Um, that's the theological and biblical stuff that is at the heart of what God is doing in the garden with Adam and Eve, um, uh, creating an environment where his goodness can be produced. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about as a foundation for planting gardens. Uh, then we're going to talk about planting cities. Um, we're also going to talk about producing art and then praising God um, as the three um, after today. So we're glad you're here. Special thanks to our friends Joshua and Ruth Barron and family uh, who were with us last week telling us about the work that God's doing among the Ma people of Kenya. So thanks for that. Uh, that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, you may not know, maybe you weren't here last week, um, but that was a bit of a momentous occasion. First time ever during a worship service at FCC that we've had any physical movement uh, that could be construed as dancing. <laughs> or perhaps in your case, misconstrued as dancing. Hey, uh, by the way, um, Barons have been with us for a few months um, and if you want to have a chance to take them out to eat, have them over to your uh, home for lunch or dinner, now is the time um, to punch that ticket because they're only here through the end of May. Um, so seek them out and um, continue to make them a part of our church congregation. So we need to cover briefly um, a few things um, I want to talk about before we jump into reading Genesis 2 and prayer. Uh, I'll make this first one short and sweet. Most Sundays we are now averaging downstairs... 100 plus different children in ages 0 through 5th grades, and we average uh, about 12 total classroom teachers per service, which is not enough. <laughs> uh, but when you consider that about two months ago, we needed to split two of our classrooms into two more classrooms to go from 6 to 8, that student-teacher, that teacher-student ratio of 100 plus kids with 12 teachers is really not enough. Um, so just hear me say, if you're looking for a place to serve, that's a great place. We need kids, men, helpers. Um, please let us know on your response card later. See somebody in the hub. Talk to Megan Schlesing. Um, we could use uh, a lot of help because we need to divide some classrooms um, like two months ago. <laughs> so secondly, if you grew up with some amount of legalism or churchianity like I did, don't raise your hands, I know that's some of y'all, um, it's easy to glance at the hub back there and to misunderstand it some. Sure, we've got t-shirts, we've got FCC swag, we've got mugs with our logos on it available for purchase, but I want to make sure that we're clear on two things about the hub. Number one, 
We are taking a serious loss financially. We are not even remotely covering costs. We're not trying to make a profit with it. And let me tell you a little bit about a biblical theological thing here. Profiteering, which is making an excessive or an unfair profit, is one of the two reasons Jesus overturned the tables in the temple. And it was only a secondary reason. The other and main reason was because the profiteering that Jesus saw became symbolic that the Jews had turned the temple from a place of worship of God into a place of self-righteous gain. I think you'd have a hard case to make for that being what goes on here, but feel free free to try to make that case. One has. If many of y'all need to talk about that, get it out, let's have a conversation about it. but I just want to get that out there so you know we're aware of what the Bible says and we think these things through carefully and we don't do things haphazardly. Okay? Second thing we want to be clear on about the hub is this. And this relates to our mission. Uh, and this is what I want to focus on primarily for just a minute with the hub. We are actually very intentionally integrating some important books and resources and a few other items there that tie in with what we're doing in a number of areas of ministry here at FCC. There are lots of details to this, but let me just share three or four um, of these tie-ins with our mission and ministry. Um, We are intentionally offering Catalyst Coffee Company swag, fresh beans, roasted in-house, because uh, four years ago we launched uh, and we continue to support Catalyst Coffee Company as a nonprofit community outreach. So right here in the Hub, you can take home a, a mug or a T-shirt or a, or a bag of the best beans you can buy anywhere in East Tennessee, knowing that 100% of the profits support existing ministry and outreach throughout our community. So if you bought a bag a week, you'd have amazing coffee, and it would support already existing ministry and nonprofit outreach in our community. Let me tell you a few other things. We're offering three different types of English Standard Version Bibles that have really great notes and theological study uh, information in them um, so that you can follow the version the preacher uses. There's also a really great one-volume commentary on the whole Bible that would help you prepare for life group, would help you get ready to lead a life group. That's the kind of resource we want to continue to make available. Uh, We're offering a book about multi-site churches that helps you understand what we're doing with our launch of an additional campus in February 2019. Buy that and read that if you really actually care about the nooks and crannies of what this multi-site church thing means. Um, We are offering two versions of what is called a systematic theology textbook, and that uh, teaches important Christian doctrine that is part of ongoing leadership development for us here at First Christian Church. We try to encourage our life group leaders and people who are leading to, to read those kinds of things to be prepared to lead well. We're offering a major classic called Knowing God, Uh, by J.I. Packer. That is one of the best mixes of deep theology and Christian living that you will come across in your entire lifetime. That's available back there. And all of these books are vetted for biblical and theological soundness and clarity. So that that space, so that the hub, will become a place that not only plugs people into our habits in practical terms, but also helps us communicate our mission and encourage spiritual habits with books and resources that will form people's souls. 
So that's the kind of thing that also happens in that space. Last thing I want you to understand is that the kind of thing I just talked about, how that integrates in a bunch of ways with our vision, that's exactly the kind of thing you will learn in Next Steps. It's four Sundays of learning about how this really works behind the scenes and how we intentionally integrate our seven habits strategy all over the place in a host of cool ways. Next Steps is becoming a really big deal for us, and it's an important part of our ongoing growth strategy. It helps connect people. It helps them understand how this all works. Uh, we've already had about 35 different people go through so far, and we're in month two. So whether you're a first-timer or a thousandth-timer, I want to encourage you to go through Next Steps in order to understand how things actually work here. Um, it's really helpful for understanding a big picture of our vision and how this whole process works. Let's go ahead and read together Genesis 2. We're going to read 7 through 15, and then we'll pray and get into the text together. Genesis 2, 7 through 15. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Let's pray, friends. Lord God, we quiet our hearts and minds. So that we would be in a posture of learning from you. Lord, we're grateful that you have given us all that we call our own and that you have given us responsibility to steward not just the raw material of life, the stuff of earth, but Lord, relationships with people and the environments that we're in for the sake of producing your goodness and glory. Lord, that is a high calling for us. It's a calling that requires your spirit to breathe life into us. And Lord, it's easy for us in the day to day to become distracted from your larger purposes. To become overwhelmed with the daily responsibilities of life in a way that loses the perspective that, that you have to shape a world 
where your goodness and your glory are made known, where the beauty that comes from your heart is produced in our lives and in our relationships with the things we make, with, with what we create. Lord, give us, as believers who follow your Son, Jesus, give us a vision for doing what you've done for us, of producing, of creating environments where your goodness and your glory and your beauty are communicated and produced because of our stewardship of the resources you've given to us. We submit ourselves today, Lord, to the authority of your holy word, asking that it would inform us and teach us and shape us. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, um, every once in a while at home, I'll be minding my own business um, at home, just <laughs> chilling and watching soccer video clips with a vanilla cream soda in hand. Like you do. Like three of us do, maybe. And I'll hear, as I'm sitting there, just kind of chilling by myself, I'll hear a scream from another part of the house. I'll, I'll hear a scream from another part of the house. But I don't instantly go into, like, you know, ER visit mode and put on the super dad cape. Because I have heard this scream dozens of times. <laughs> this isn't one of those I've cut my finger off screams. Uh, we know that scream at the Wakefield house, by the way. Um, this isn't an ER visit scream. This is a yikes, it's a spider scream. Anybody know the yikes, it's a spider scream at their house? Yes. Some of y'all, you feel me. Sure enough, I'll walk to the scene of the crime and I'll discover cave cricket. That's what we call them. Uh, you know what I'm talking about probably. Some people call them cave crickets, camel crickets, spider crickets. Um, full grown that can be an inch or two in diameter. Like, that's a two inches. Somehow they're a foot in diameter suddenly. <laughs> An inch or two in diameter, uh, full grown, and um, black and, and brown with big jumpy legs on the back with crazy long antenna on the front. Harmless, but look kind of scary. You with me? All right, good. Didn't want to have to resort to a picture. <laughs> Weak sauce preachers have to use pictures because they're lazy. I feel feisty today. Not enough sleep. <laughs> so these stinking cave crickets. I am sick of cave crickets. Uh, they like to burrow and they gather in dark and sort of damp places where they can produce more cave crickets. And these little annoying guys uh, don't just die and go away. Um, if, if you have any experience with cave crickets like I do, you know that they just sort of disintegrate and dismember. And then you find pieces of them all over the house. Anybody else? Find cave cricket pieces. Yes. <laughs> Super gross. Super gross. So sermon takeaway number one is uh, go home and kill you some cave crickets. If you've got pent-up anger, maybe that's take care of cave crickets later. Here's what I've learned from my ongoing war uh, with cave crickets. Nature is trying to take over our homes. It, it, it's truer than you think. This isn't just a joke. Nature's trying to take over our homes. And nature always wins. All we are trying to do is manage it and keep it at bay so it doesn't entirely overwhelm us. Everybody's talking about keeping humans out of the environment. Uh, I'm worried about keeping the environment out of my house. And I need help. 
I need help. Think about this. We pay someone else to mow our lawns, to clean our houses, to spray for bugs, to take out our trash. We are overrun with nature, just trying to keep up. Some of y'all have way more than I do. You got acreage and a bunch of animals, and you keep them in a barn. Nature is trying to take over our lives. (laughs) And I imagine this is, in a sense, how Adam first felt. In his first job as caretaker of the garden and its inhabitants. Which, at this point in the story, when we're about to pick up, the inhabitants did not include Eve yet. (laughs) But it did include all the plants and animals. Just look with me at Genesis, the second chapter. We're going to jump in verses 19 and 20 here. This is soon after Adam had been given the job of tending the garden, naming the animals. It says this in Genesis 2, 19 and 20. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, which worthy of note is a lot of beasts and birds. The Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called, listen to this, three words, <laughs> every living creature. is a big job. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. But look at verse 20. Adam couldn't keep up <laughs> because cave crickets were winning. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And press pause real quick. At this point, as best as I can tell from my, you know, expert analysis of the Hebrew text, Adam must have put out um, an ad in the paper that said something like, need help, overrun with cave crickets. Because the next line says this. Look what it says, poor guy. But for Adam, (laughs) there was not found a helper fit for him. This is a problem. Adam needed help. Are we preaching, ladies? Nature was winning. Cave crickets everywhere. And Adam needed help. Now, sort of, you know, we've approached this in a sort of silly way with cave crickets. But I'm not playing. I see cave crickets every third or fourth day in my life. I don't need just cave crickets. I got a thousand other things going on in my life to worry about bugs. So for me, I get into this place of emotional overwhelm at the thought of it. I don't even need the cave crickets to actually happen. And Adam here is the first to experience, in a sense, this emotional overwhelm that's become a cultural phenomenon for most people or anybody trying to keep up with half their responsibilities. Adam was the first to experience emotional overwhelm because he couldn't keep up. (laughs) Frazzled farmer needs help to tend the garden and name animals. It may sound a little silly, but let's be real. There's not much difference between Adam having to care for, I don't know, every living creature, and when I feel overwhelmed, with trying to be responsible with three kids, one wife, and one job. It's easy for me to get on the hamster wheel of life and to feel like, what are we doing with all of this frenetic activity anyway? What is the purpose of all this effort? 
Because it feels to me often, as I'm sure it does to you, like church and school and extracurriculars and job responsibilities and cave crickets are all winning. And I'm just running in circles, trying not to lose my mind. This is where a lot of us actually live. So how do we, how do we keep our perspective in place? So that what we do from day to day is achieving a larger purpose of creating God's goodness and glory. How do we connect that day-to-day stuff that feels like overwhelm to the larger purposes of what God's doing in the world? How do I connect with that kind of vision? I want to propose that we continue to try to, and we use this word on purpose, fight for a vision of creating a culture of beauty and goodness and godliness in our lives with the raw material of the stuff of earth and in our relationships. That we fight for a vision of joy in producing with the raw stuff of our life and the relationships a culture of goodness and godliness and beauty that come from the Father's heart. That we fight for a vision for joy, for that to happen in our homes, in our marriages, with our parenting, in our actual gardens, at our jobs, on our farms, wherever God's got us, we are planted there to cultivate beauty and godliness. And in this series, we take a step back from the craziness of the natural tendency of life to overtake us, and we fight for the joy found in creating beauty and and goodness in our lives. You see, Scripture teaches this. (laughs) And we believe that God made you in His image, after His likeness. Genesis 1, 26 and 8. God made you, and He gave you the stuff He made in creation so that you and I would steward that stuff to create environments where beauty happens. And we have that kind of vision in our lives. We have a perspective like that for our lives. It can become a perspective that helps manage the day-to-day cave crickets and rein in overwhelm for us. Look with me at Genesis 2, 17 to 15, uh, to study where we begin to learn this biblical vision uh, for creating environments of, of beauty and goodness. We begin in the text here where God the gardener puts Adam in the garden. He plants Adam to carry on his work of creating beauty and goodness. Look at verse 7. We're going to simmer on verse 7 and then move faster through the rest here. It says this. Jump into verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Press pause and simmer on verse 7. Three words help us see in HD what's going on here. It says this, God formed the man. The word for formed here is the same word that's explicitly used uh, otherwise to describe the vocation and the work of a potter. Okay? So, So the Bible is saying God here is a potter who's forming, who's shaping humanity here. Secondly, the word for dust here also means clay 
or dirt, as in the raw material that a potter uses, the stuff of earth. And in the Hebrew, it sounds almost exactly like the word for man as a way to say that God the potter is, is sort of throwing a pot created from the raw material, the stuff of earth. And it, and it isn't really anything of consequence yet. <laughs> and it's just called man. Which at this point in Genesis roughly just means thing made from dirt. Ha-adam, ha-adama. Dirt object. Yes, man was first dirt object. At this point, it just means man is made from stuff of earth. But add the third word in verse 7 that we need to take note of here, and this dirt object takes on life. Verse 7 here says, The Lord God breathed into his nostrils, into Adam's nostrils, the breath of life, And the man, the Adam, became a living creature. Now we've gone beyond clay pot to like live human. The stuff of earth becomes alive because God breathed into man's nostrils. And there are two main words used throughout the Old Testament and in culture at the time uh, for breathing. One of which occurs much more frequently and is used to refer to the breathing of God, of man, of animals, even false gods and idols. But the word used here for breathe is used exclusively to refer to God and to man. So this is a breath that comes from God and is a special breath that makes this potter stuff alive. And though not explicitly named in the text, the obvious implication here is that God breathes his very spirit into the man. God the potter takes the stuff of earth and he breathes life into it and mankind is the result. So now we're firing on all cylinders here because because Adam is actually alive. And what follows in 8 through 15 is an important transition because it goes from the what meaning a man who has the the breath, the life of God in him, from what, human being made of earth with God's breath in him, to what for and why. Now we have a breathing man, and we begin to see what, what Adam was made for. What was he here to do? What's the purpose of life? This is what we're answering right here. What is his purpose and work? What was the purpose of that life that he breathed into Adam? Jump in at verse 8. Watch what God does. The Lord God planted a garden. Think here, uh, well-tended sort of botanical or country garden with trees and shrubs and flowers. Uh, Nature tended and pruned and directed and beautified. Not nature run amok with cave crickets and and not, not also a tiny rectangular plot of land in your backyard where you grow tomatoes and carrots. The idea here is that God is tending this first garden. Watering it, weeding, nurturing growth. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And the word Eden just carries this idea of luxuriant beauty. Um, It's synonymous with paradise. Um, And what did he put here in Eden? It says, there he put the man whom he had formed. So now we've gone from God the potter to God the gardener. And the implication here... um, And it's even in the word for for put here that happens in 8 and 15 where it says God put the man. The implication that now God has planted a garden and in it he plants Adam like a seed. The same word used for put was used to talk about putting a seed into the soil. 
He places Adam in the garden like a seed for a purpose. And we begin to see Adam's why coming to light here. Look at verse 9. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Interesting, isn't it, that it doesn't say that God made to spring up every tree for food. If this were just about the mechanics of feeding Adam so that his body would be healthy, there's no reason for adding pleasant to the sight or good. It makes a point of saying the trees were beautiful. It was good because they did what God wanted them to do. And this idea of goodness is in keeping with how Genesis 1 uses the word good throughout. Something is good when it does what God designed for it to do, which is produce the heart of God and his goodness for people to recognize. If it's good, it's good because it's godly, which is how Genesis 1 uses the word. So this tree here is the same way. It's good for what it produces. So think about this. God plants a garden around Adam, and it is beautiful, and it is life-giving. God makes this garden grow and puts Adam in it so it's got what he needed to live and also to do the same thing God just did with Adam. This is the picture that emerges in the rest of this text. God plants Adam in this garden to do what God did with the stuff around him. That's the story here in 9b through 14, uh, where it begins to tell us some detail about the beauty and what it produced. And I want you to, we're going to read these verses kind of fast here. I want you to read these verses with the idea that location and geography isn't so much the point as the significance and the importance for what was produced there. Read with me. It says this. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Eden was the source of life for surrounding area. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows, out of, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. We're not going to explain much of what those verses mean. And we're not going to explain much especially about where Eden might have been um, since nobody really knows. By the way, if anybody tells you they're speculating and they haven't done their homework... I think the point here in these verses isn't so much so we would know where it was, but that we would know this. Life and goodness and godliness that comes from his heart are produced for humans, for the animals, for the plants. When God plants a garden, that's what happens. Life flourishes. That's the point of the text here. When God plants a garden, good stuff grows. An environment that produces beauty and where life is flourishing is what happens when God plants a garden. And the next verse makes explicit this vision of what God had done as a vision that he intended for Adam to carry out. 
This is, this is humanity's job description in 2.15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden for this purpose to work it and keep it. Our role is tending the garden on God's behalf. If we would simmer on this truth that this is all God's and it's all for His glory and the purpose is to steward it on His behalf to achieve His ends and not ours, we would learn some joy and contentment and peace. Instead of having to use our stuff (laughs) for us, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, placed him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Our role is tending our garden. So friends, tend to your garden. Tend to your garden. And please, by the way, this morning, don't walk away thinking, I'm going to stop by Lowe's on the way and pick up some geraniums before I get home. (laughs) Feel free to pick up some geraniums. That's okay. Uh, But this is a metaphor for us. Um, We are saying... Uh, that God has called us to create environments in our home, in our marriage, with our kids, with our grandkids, in our jobs, here in this building, teams we coach, uh, the small groups we lead, the classroom you manage, the, the desk you occupy, the office where you work. God has called us to take the stuff of these environments and the relationships there, the raw material of our life, and he has called us to put it together, to configure it in a way that displays his beauty and his goodness. This is the vision we must hold on to. We have to fight for a joy from that vision that achieves God's purposes. A vision for our lives where we experience the joy of seeing God's goodness produced. We buy into a lie that we get joy some other way. We have to fight for the joy of a vision for our lives where we experience seeing God's goodness and His character produced. So don't give in to the tendency to let life happen to you as if you have no vision and purpose. If you do that, you let the cave crickets take over. The gardens in your life will return to chaos and your life will be overrun with weeds in a matter of days and weeks. I understand how easy it is to get there, but fight against that. Fight against the tendency to let the brokenness and the evil and the frustration and the hamster wheel of your everyday life overtake you. Now, if this, if this sort of big picture vision of producing godliness in, in environments in my life feels too big (laughs) and you're not sure where to begin Uh, you're not sure how to create an environment that produces goodness and beauty and that sounds too highfalutin I suggest you start small it can be as easy as pick up your shoes and put the dishes in the sink you're welcome parents if you begin at being faithful in putting together 
the stuff of life you've already got in a way that creates order and beauty and an environment where godliness can be produced, He will use it. He will use your, your, your tiny faithfulness of picking up socks and putting dishes in the sink. Now imagine, imagine what results when a bunch of individuals have a vision for their life like that. A whole community of people. A beauty where godliness is produced. Imagine how beautiful this community would be if we tended to our gardens. The goodness and the glory and the beauty of a God who loves us would be on full display. And when that happens and a bunch of individuals do that, the result is the kingdom of God. And people see godliness. Let's pray, friends. Father, we pray for continued vision that comes from Your heart, that proceeds from Your character that is good and perfect and holy. Forgive us, Lord, for a vision for our lives that is beholding to a joy that's produced from our own personal frailty and brokenness and sin. We pray, Lord, for the grace to continue to become people whose lives produce goodness, produce in us, Lord, a beauty that points others to Your heart. In every area of our lives, Give us, Lord, tangible, practical ways to be obedient and faithful toward that end. Give us this week steps toward that vision that are manageable. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.